trust you're experiencing God's presence. You know, it's, if you have your Bible, open up to uh, Ezra. I'm telling you now because it might take you a while to find it. It's bef- Ezra is before you get to Psalms in the Old Testament. That's how I figure things out. Everything goes around Psalms. Uh, and when you get there, just put your finger in it. We'll get there eventually. I was uh, thinking at the beginning of the year, I began with uh, feeling something in God of an increased presence and fruitfulness. And I've seen as the year has gone just an increase in the sweetness of his presence as we worship, as we gather. It's been wonderful. I haven't seen the same increase in fruitfulness. And it was kind of affecting me a little bit. A week before last, I was driving, and I had about three days where everywhere I went, I got behind someone who was really slow. (laughs) Not just old person slow, really slow. 20 or 30 Ks below the speed limit. Now, I'm not a fast driver. I like to be in the front. I don't like to go fast. I just like to be in the front. And so uh, I don't mind people driving slow as long as I don't have to be behind them. But after about the third day, and probably the fifth or sixth person, I was falling very slow. I was beginning to complain and uh, just saying, God, all these slow people, what's happening? I was just like the Holy Spirit said, I think maybe I'm trying to get your attention. And I went, uh-oh. And obviously God in that, as he often does, spoke to me about having patience. Now, obviously, he does that quite often. That probably says to you, I'm not the most patient person. And that's true. But in that concept of seeing an increase in his presence and an increase in fruitfulness, I realized I was becoming frustrated because I wasn't seeing what I expected to see because of what I felt God had said. And in the process, I was getting a bit frustrated and God was just began to speak to me about patience. And so what I have to share this morning is not so much a sermon. I'm just gonna share with you my thoughts, but it actually was what God began to deal with me. And uh, maybe it'll apply to you and maybe not. Uh, if it doesn't, Fortunately, we had a great worship time, and Jesus was here. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence. Thank you that you've already manifested your love. Thank you that there's a rest that comes from your presence. But Lord, we ask that uh, you speak to us. If there's things that, as you've been speaking to me, apply to others, that you would, you would apply that. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is going to kind of ramble for a little bit because I'm going to share with you kind of the process that God was dealing with me. But on our Wednesday leaders meeting, Tim was sharing with the leaders and he said that uh, much of the church has created a model that leads many believers to passivity. Think about that for a second. 
And he was actually referring to a guy who was at our equip last year, uh, David Balestri, who said, uh, we've indirectly built a system where the majority are idle. We coach idleness. And he was referring to Matthew 20, verse 3, and he went about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. In verse 6, and why are you standing here idle all day? And uh, both of them, as a result of that, said, we're not ready for revival. If God were to pour out his spirit how we believe he wants to, we wouldn't be ready. And that was part of my frustration. Not a frustration at all with the church, not a frustration with our leadership team. We have a wonderful team. But I actually had an expectation when I came here that God was wanting to do something where tens of thousands of people would get saved. And that's why I came. You guys are a a bonus. Uh, But it was really because I wanted to be a part of something God was doing. And Tim went on to say that one of the things we believe God is doing is raising up a kingdom of ministers, which is all of us. Which reminded me something. I read something C.S. Lewis said. He said, if we could see each other in the spirit, it would take all we are not to bow down at the glory of God in them. Think about that. If you could see the person next to you in the spirit, it would take all that you are not to bow down at the glory of God in them. So, in that expectation, people use a lot of different terms. Revival, reformation, outpouring, wave of God, tsunami, awakening, uh, renewal, all kinds of words. So let me just give you a couple definitions and then we'll get into Ezra in a little bit. Someone once said renewal is something that takes place in the church, in the churches. A returning to the covenant we have with God and God's priorities. Revival is something that overflows into the people around, that impacts the unsaved. And that's often our goal. But then reformation is something that changes the institutions of society or the pillars of society for righteousness' sake. And someone once said that all three of those go together. We can't shortcut and say we want to change the institutions of society without actually having renewal in the churches or without actually having an outpouring of the Spirit of God that touches people and they get saved. Now, put that aside for a second and because God just moves in grace. Sometimes even when we don't get it right, he just does wonderful things. Last Sunday, when we got up in the morning, our heat pump didn't work in our house. Uh, thinking, well, it's almost spring. But I didn't have a chance to get to, to do anything about it until Thursday. And uh, just built fires and being tech savvy that I am, I Googled <laughs> Dakin heat pumps, 
and uh, began to read that, you know, some of the things, what happens is there's a little light that flashes that says something's wrong. And uh, the first thing I read was that sometimes the fan on the outside unit gets blocked. And thinking we had all this wind, maybe it got blocked, so I'm going to fix it. So I go out there and I tear the whole thing apart. And uh, the fan wasn't blocked. And I looked around and couldn't see anything that looked wrong. Uh, put it all back together, cleaned what little I could see and put it all back together. And while I'm doing this, Mary's praying that God would fix the heat pump. Now Mary has a whole history of praying and God fixing inanimate objects, which I've never been able to get my head around. But I, I figure if God can heal something as complex as a human body, he can fix in, inanimate things. Uh, she just has more faith. But she's got a whole history of just supernatural God doing those things. So she's praying, and I tear this thing apart, put it all back together, went in and cleaned the, the inside unit, and hit the button, and it worked. <laughs> Amazing. And then I figured out, I didn't do anything. So I Googled again. Realized that that flashing light is a code that tells you about 27 things that can be wrong with a heat pump. Yet ours worked. I know I didn't fix it. I didn't do anything. Well, technically, I took it apart and put it back together, and I got all the screws back in. I didn't have any left over at the end. But it wasn't that I fixed something. Now, was it the grace of God because Mary was praying? Somehow, God just broke it. Our heat pump works, which reminded me of something when I was uh, young. I was a young guy, and I was at a, a men's retreat in a church that we were part of, and there were a couple hundred men, and we had a worship time and a ministry time, and one young guy came to me and asked me to pray for him. And as I prayed for him, this word came into my mind of a spirit of rejection. Now, understand what that meant to me was an attitude or a heart belief a way of thinking that was based on rejection, I did not think an actual demonic spirit of rejection. In those days, I'd come out of a different background, didn't believe that, that Christians could be demonized, and so I, that wasn't in my thinking. But as I began to pray for this guy, with that in mind, I prayed, Jesus, would you set him free from a spirit of rejection? And he falls on the floor and begins to act slither like a snake obviously manifesting some sort of demon while I'm praying in the back of my mind I go check mark gotta revisit that of the Bible about Christians being demonized and so I called a couple guys and we prayed for him and got delivered got set free was it because I knew what to do was it because I had great faith? No, it was just the grace of God. Even when I didn't know what to do, God was so in love with that man that he would use whatever tool he could find, which is wonderful. He moves in grace. So, 
Ezra chapter 5. While I was going through my bit of frustration, God began to show me. Ezra 5, and the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied, the prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Now, that seems kind of out of the blue, but the the story is that these guys had returned from captivity to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. We see that in Ezra chapter 1, verse uh, 5 and 6. Uh, and it says, And the heads of the fathers' houses, priests, and all those whose spirits God had moved, rose up to go and, and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So that's the purpose that they went. But something happened, and they faced some opposition, and they quit. Chapter 4, verse 24, And the work of the house of God, which at Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So they come. God sets them free to come back and, and rebuild the temple. And they get started, and then they stop. And then these prophets come and begin to prophesy to the people. And so I decided, oh, I better read that. So I read Zephaniah and, and Haggai. And uh, turn over to Haggai, which is on the other side of Psalms, toward the end of the Old Testament. Haggai addresses two things. I'm not sure I'm going to get to both of them today. But he addresses priorities and he addresses discouragement from comparison and unmet expectations. So I want to take a look at those, but in reverse order. So in Haggai chapter 2, uh, This is the prophet speaking to the people. Verse 3. Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? What he's addressing is there's something of discouragement that came when they compared what, was, what they were seeing then with what they had either experienced in the past or had an expectation to see. How often do we get discouraged when our expectations aren't met? I expect God to do something and he doesn't do what I expect. Or when I expect it. Or I compare it to something in the past. Goes on and says, yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Basically says, I recognize that this doesn't look like what you expected. 
But get your eyes off of that and get your eyes back onto me. That's what he says. For I am with you. According to the word which I covenant with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So what God was addressing with me is that I got my eyes onto the expectation I had of a move of God and fruitfulness rather than on him. And didn't realize it, because I'd been dealing with something I knew in my heart for a number of weeks of a bit of frustration. Uh, just expecting something more. Expecting something of a greater move of God. I had a higher expectation than what I was experiencing. I wonder if what I was experiencing is similar to what you might be experiencing. You have an expectation. And you're not seeing it. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, I will shake heaven and earth and sea and dry land. I will shake all the nations. They shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former. What's he saying? It's not the temple. See, what they were seeing is that the former temple was all gold. It was extravagant. It was wonderful. Now they're building something that's pretty uh, plain in comparison. And they're looking at the temple and saying, this isn't as good as that. And God's saying, it's not the temple, it's the person in the temple. It's the presence of God. And the glory of God's presence will be greater than what we've seen. God began to just deal with me. I wasn't seeing what I was expecting, but what I put my focus back on him. And then he goes on and says that the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the former. He's saying, you've just seen the wrong thing. Now, God's at work. Please, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. God's at work. He's changing people's lives. He's touching people. It's wonderful. I think I shared it a few weeks ago. I was at a breakfast as a follow-up to the uh, Will Graham celebration, and there were 500-some-odd people who made some sort of commitment to Jesus, which is wonderful. We were celebrating that, and I went away thinking, God, that's great, and I'm grateful, but I want tens of thousands. I want more. There's got to be more. Looking back, that's real, where I realized that my frustration began to set in and that I was looking at the fruit. Let me ask you, are you like me? Have you got your eyes off of something and allowed discouragement to, come to creep in because you're not seeing what you expected? or you're comparing to something that you've seen in the past. I'm old enough that I was part of the charismatic outpouring 
in the 60s and 70s in the U.S. I was quite young at the time, but uh, throughout the 70s, and we saw an incredible move of God and literally hundreds of thousands, especially young people. The Jesus movement was called God Saved, and there's something in my heart that says, God, I want to see that again. And I didn't realize that I was comparing what I was seeing now with something I'd seen in the past. Then he addresses something of God's priorities from chapter 1, verse 2. Again, the people had quit working, and he's addressing this. Let me make something clear. In talking about the temple, I'm not talking about church. I'm talking about the kingdom. Okay? It's not the temple to me doesn't represent, hey, how do we build a church? That's not, never our goal. Jesus says that we're to disciple all nations and he will build his church. Our focus is on something else. It's not on church growth. That's never our goal. So when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about church. Thus says the Lord, verse two, this people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built, the time for whatever it is that we're expecting. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruin? And then he goes on and says, "Uh, now therefore, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Take a look at your ways. And he talks about what's happening. Verse seven, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Go to the mountains and bring wood and build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. You look for much, but indeed it comes to little. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Why? Because of my house that is in ruins. Because every one of you runs to his own house. He's not talking about, I'm not talking about houses. I'm talking about priorities. Do we have God's priorities? Do we get distracted? See, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 Jesus uh, speaking about the kingdom. I'm just going to read this. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And what God began to speak to me is, am I seeking his priorities? Or have I got distracted with other things? What's his priority? One, that I fix my eyes on Jesus, and two, that I preach the gospel. It's the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. It's the gospel that brings revival. It's the gospel that will change, eventually bring reformation to society. Preaching the gospel. Let me encourage you. Any organization that you're part of or supporting, if it's not preaching the gospel, then make some adjustments. 
If you've gotten focus on something else, we need to get back to God's priorities. It's not about, okay, are we worried about our house? If you're remodeling your house, this is not an attack on you. You're remodeling your house. How dare you? This is not about being more involved in church. It's about God's priorities for the advancement of his kingdom. Is what God was speaking to me. And he reminded me that his priorities and his pattern is always for our best and his kingdom advancement. He didn't understand that. Because we can miscommunicate. We talk about the love of God, and I did a couple weeks ago. Every thought that, has God, that God has toward you, and they're more than the grain of sand in the, in the uh, earth, are loving. Therefore, you're good. But we can miss out the fact that that God's priorities and patterns is for our good, but also for the advancement of his kingdom. Otherwise, how do we make sense of people who, martyrs who've laid down their lives? There are people today being persecuted for the sake of the gospel. Doesn't God love them? Yes, he does. He loves them, and what is happening is for their good and the furtherance of the gospel. If you've been around for a long time, you might have heard the story of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a young man. He and his wife Elizabeth and a number of other young men had a vision to reach an unreached people group, Aka Indians, in the Amazon. And they developed a strategy with a small plane, and they would extend a very long rope out the back, and then they would start to do a circle. And if you know anything about physics, that rope eventually comes to a point. And if they flew at the right speed in the right circle, they could literally bring the end of that rope stationary. And so they put some gifts in there, and that was their first contact with this Indian tribe that nobody had ever met. Flying around in a circle, and that rope would come down, and then the the Indians eventually took the gifts out of there, and eventually they had some interaction And they thought this was God's way of bringing a connection. Well, eventually, they land their plane on a sandbar in the middle of the the river. And they make contact with these Indians who killed all the young men who were there. Wonderful story is that Jim's wife, Elizabeth, years later, went back to that tribe and reached them all for Jesus. But at his funeral, someone said, Jim Elliott died trying to reach Aka Indians in the Amazon. He said he gave his life for the kingdom on a sandbar in the Amazon. And his pastor responded and said, no. He gave his life for the king in the kingdom eight years ago at the altar in our church. He recognized he's not his own. He was bought with a price. And there's something as we understand, God loves me. 
and everything he does is for my good and the advancement of his kingdom. If we lose that second part, then it quickly becomes self-centered. It becomes, what am I getting out of this? We get this connection with God. So what was Haggai saying? We need to make sure we have God's priorities, and we need to make sure that we don't get our focus on the wrong thing. And then, back to the very beginning, we can have patience. Rather than getting frustrated, what God spoke to me was just be patient. The outpouring of the Spirit of God will be greater than anything you've ever seen. But don't get frustrated because it's not happening when you think it should. We're going to share communion together in just a few moments. Communion is a reminder of Jesus. His love for us. It's a reminder of the covenant. God initiated a covenant, a covenant of love that he says, I will pour my love upon you. Everything I have is yours. But the other side of that covenant is our commitment to him. We live for him and his kingdom and not for us. I'm going to ask you if you bow your head for a moment. took me a number of weeks to realize I had this kind of low-grade frustration, discouragement, because things weren't happening how I thought they should or when I thought they should. If that's you this morning, if you've been praying for something and it hasn't happened, if you've been expecting something, and it hasn't come how you thought it should or when you thought it should. Can I encourage you? He's with us. We just need to put our focus back on him. We need to keep our eyes on him. There is so much distraction to get us focused on something that might be good, but it might be secondary. Just take a moment. if you need to make some adjustments and priorities. I'm not trying to convince you of something that you should. I'm not trying to say you need to be out evangelizing more. That's the Holy Spirit's job.
Bible says as we take communion, as often as we do it, do it in remembrance of him. Of his love. That Jesus purchased us. Of his thoughts toward us, his commitment to us. But also of ours to him. We, we receive his love. And then we respond with love for him. So I'm going to invite you to come and get uh, the communion. There's three, two tables in the front and one in the back. If you would go uh, collect the elements and just take it back to your seat and hang on to it. We'll take it together in just a moment. There is... Gluten-free on this table to my right, your left, in the front. If you're gluten-free, the other ones you can get up. And, this, uh, and then the worship team will come up and we're going to finish with uh, just a time of, of ministry. Okay, go ahead, please. Just make your way. If the worship team guys would come back up now. seems uh, much more serious than I intended. <laughs> much more quiet and serious than that wasn't my intent this morning. Maybe that's, that's my fault. Uh, just the, the goodness of God. His presence makes all the difference. I have one, thank you. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for. We just stand amazed at your love. Lord, we can't begin to comprehend how much you love us. We can't begin to grasp every thought you have toward us is loving. And your thoughts toward us are more than the sand. You say that you love us as much as you love Jesus. That's hard to comprehend. But Lord, as we take 
communion, we have a reminder of the price that you paid. Jesus laying down your life. But more than that, being separate from God. As you took our sin upon yourself. But we also have the cup of the new covenant. A new covenant of love. A new covenant that represents that connection with you. And the promise of your presence. Lord, we choose this morning to put our eyes back on you. We choose this morning not to become discouraged or distracted, but to just delight in you and your presence. Thank you for dying, and thank you for pouring out your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take that.